So uh, last Saturday, uh, I uh, phoned up my son and said, uh, I'll take care of Baker. He's, Baker's my youngest grandson. He's five months old. I'll take care of him uh, for three hours, just all by myself. So Denver drops him off. Baker had just come out of a nap, so I'm on for three hours. Now, the thing I learned about a five-month-old is you can't just put them on the ground or sit them in something and leave them for three hours. In fact, they require constant attention. So I received him, I, you know, blah, 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 and a chick kissed and everything like that. And then uh, I laid him underneath his little thing you lay in the floor and it has arms go up and things hang and he plays. That lasted him six minutes. <laughs> and then he started to fuss. So I'm like, well, I got to do something. So I get up off my chair and I change him over and flip him over on his stomach and sit back down. Three minutes. Then I, got, I, I go, well, I got to figure something out here. So I pick him up and I kind of hold him and rock him and make him laugh a little bit, seven minutes. And then I think, well, let's put him in, in, in his swing chair. Let's put him in that, three minutes. And then I thought, you know what? I'll bet you YouTube has something that this kid can watch. He's five months old after all. And so I put YouTube on and there's these, these fruit, like, like uh, uh, uh um, strawberries and cucumbers and pickles and they got eyes and the, there's, they're colorful and dancing. 15 minutes. I even got to sit down and not have to get out of my chair 15 minutes. But of course that came to an end so I thought well maybe it's time to feed him so I fed him. That he was totally happy with for about four minutes it took to feed him and then I had to burp him and then I thought, oh, well, now he's ready, he should be happy. And then, but sure enough, he's, he's kind of fussing again and so I, oh, the diaper. So I checked the diaper, no, everything's okay down there, so it's fine. So now I'm, I'm holding him and bouncing him and he's still fussing. I think, well, let's go back to that thing you lay on. So I put him down there and I get four minutes out of that. And then I think, well, maybe he doesn't know how to play the toys. And so I laid down and played with these infant toys with him. I lasted two minutes. I couldn't take any more of it. And then, so I picked him up and I'm like, YouTube. And so I put him back in his chair and I watched YouTube. I got about six minutes out of that. He wasn't too interested in it. He'd already seen it all. He goes, Papa, give me something better than repeats. And so then I'm picking him up and I'm holding him. And then I thought, I, I hold him up and I play this game with him. And he laughs and he smiles. He could have done that for 30 minutes, but I can't do it for 30 minutes. My arms are killing me after four minutes. And so I have to bring him down. And then I, he's crying again, so I'm checking the diaper, and then I'm thinking, well, I got no more food. Well, maybe I'll, I'll give him some cereal, like Pablum, and uh, he doesn't want any of that. And finally, at the end of three hours, Denver walks in the door. And I'm, I'm I don't know how, I don't know why you have children. <laughs> like, I can't imagine that being my routine every day. I just had three hours of it. And, and I was done. And you would think I would have been happy that, that Baker was finally being handed off to his dad. And yet I wasn't. I didn't want him to go. In fact, I was kind of sad that our time was over. And I thought, why is that? I mean, I just poured myself. I had more of a workout in that three hours than I do when I go play pickleball or something like that. I was just sweating. Like, why am I sad to see him go? I should have been relieved. And that's because uh, when 
You give yourself, and when you sacrifice yourself for somebody else, you love them more. That's a paradox of God. That God gives us joy when we give ourselves. That when we sacrifice ourselves for others, we gain a deeper love for them. Well, that's a paradox. And it's also contrary to our nature. Now, we've been in this letter of joy called Philippians that Paul wrote, ironically, from prison. And he writes the letter of joy. Now, most of us think of joy. When we were singing joy, unspeakable joy, you know, when we were singing that, our, our tendency is to think that joy and happiness are the same thing, but they're not. Happiness is reactive. When everything is going well in my life, when, when the things I need are given to me, the things I want, I get. When life is particularly good, that's when I feel happy, this great feeling inside. But happiness flees when things get hard. Joy is not reactive like happiness. Joy is actually proactive. It is something we choose before the hard times come or are finished, before we get what we want. It's something we choose regardless of our circumstances. It is proactive. And joy is the choice to believe that Jesus is greater than all the circumstances that I'm in and that he has a plan for all that I'm in, and that he will bring good from all that I am in. And, and so even when things are hard, as I watch Marg Connor sitting with her daughter, dying the last few days of her life, and Marg turns to me and says, Jesus is so good, that is joy. Now she said it with tears in her eyes, but she's saying Jesus is so good, he will be faithful he will look after Mel and her family. That is the joy of God. To believe, to choose to believe that he's greater than the circumstances I'm in, that he, that he has a plan for everything that I'm in, and that he will bring good from all that I am. That's how we have joy. Joy does not mean you don't have tears of grief. It doesn't mean it's not hard. In fact, it's usually hard when you have to choose joy. Joy is a proactive choice to believe not in the circumstances and how they make me feel, but in Jesus and what he's doing. That's what joy is. Now, last week we learned that Paul said, I choose joy in mission. And we talked about how mission, when we choose to put ourselves, even if we have to suffer, even if we have to be uh, attacked or oppressed, when we choose to put ourselves out there to speak for Jesus, there is a joy in that. And Paul shared that with us. This week, I want you to see that Paul is going to say, we need to choose joy in sacrificing ourselves. There is a joy that God gives when we sacrifice ourselves. Look at chapter two, verse one. Now, understand as I'm going through this, I'm not going deeply into each phrase and each word because sometimes we lose track of what the argument or the teaching is because we get too down into it. I want us to see the general message that Paul wanted the Philippians to get uh, when he wrote this book. Now, any book of the Bible has multiple themes running through it. And so that's why I could preach Philippians today and then in January start up and preach it again and have a whole different series set because there's different themes that go through every book. But joy is the predominant theme. And in verse two, or chapter two, verse one, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, now stop. 
Is there any encouragement you being united with Christ? I mean, you know you were going to hell, right? You know that you were lost in your sin. You know that he's the Lord of all things, including all your circumstances and your life, and that he has a purpose for you. You know that he will defeat all evil and exalt all righteousness. Is there any encouragement for you in Christ? I think this is a rhetorical question. Is there any encouragement or comfort from his love? Does Jesus speak to your heart when you're deeply wounded and suffering? Can he go in where no other can go and provide you comfort? Is there any common sharing in the spirit? Do you experience an empowering by the spirit when you pray and then face the things you maybe don't want to face or or stand up in courage or go through difficulty? Is there any empowerment, any sharing of the spirit in your life? Is there any tenderness and compassion in Christ? Does he forgive you when you sin? Does he understand when you fail? Is he, is he there? Does he ever quit on you? Well, the answer to all these is, yes, this is abundant in my life. And so Paul says, well then, if there's any of that, then make my joy, here it is, make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love. The same love as who? What we're going to find out is him and Jesus. Being one in spirit and one of mind together, do nothing. And so how do you have, what does he mean by love? He means do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to you for the interests of other. Now I have preached those verses trying to understand, trying to make out the, 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 the difficulty of those verses because if you take them at face value, Paul is saying, yeah, put others before yourself. Yeah, well, there are times when, you know, you just can't put others before yourself because, I mean, you gotta take care of things and you gotta, you know, gotta protect yourself and you gotta, no, 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 no. Put Jesus first and then put others ahead of yourself. Even when you need something, and somebody else needs it, give it to them. Because by doing that, you're trusting that God will provide for you. And so that is what love is. It is a sacrifice of yourself putting somebody else ahead of you. You can't explain your way around this. The love that Paul is talking about is not a feeling where I feel wonderful when I meet the person. It's a love where I choose to sacrifice my needs, my wants, my desires so that you can have yours. Now, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. Now he's going to say, where did you get this from, Paul? Where would you, why would you say anything like that? Well, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human flesh. We cannot imagine the downgrade Jesus went through from being in essence God and then confining that, all his godness, into a human form. For us, we're at the top of the food chain on this world. So it doesn't get better than you and me, being human. But for God, that is a downgrade 
unbelievable downgrade, and Jesus willingly confined himself to a human body to suffer the pain and the struggles that come with being human, though he didn't deserve any of them, and though he didn't create us that way, and yet he comes along and takes on himself the nature of a servant. And you think he went that far, that, that's far enough to say, wow, he really did sacrifice a lot to, be, to, to love me. And being found in an appearance as a man, he even went further, he humbled him. Can you imagine? The God of eternity humbling himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You wonder where Paul gets this idea that we need to sacrifice ourselves for others? He goes, well, let's just look at Jesus. The one who said, as I have loved you, became man, God became man and then died for you. As I have given up my life for you, as I have given up my desires, my wants, my needs, and gave them up so that I could meet yours, so you now do the same to those around you. You now live that kind of love. (laughs) So, I was studying this passage and um, I had a long day, it was a Wednesday, I had a long day, I went in early and I came home at 8.30 at night. It was just a long day, I was studying, I was meeting with people, like I was exhausted. So I walked in the house and uh, at 8.30 and I, I flopped down on the couch, Crystal was in the chair, and I turned on the TV. And Crystal said to me, um, before you turn on the TV, would you mind just spending some time talking? I've been alone, she works from home, I've been alone all day, and uh, I could use a little conversation before you flip the TV on. And so, of course, being the loving husband I am, I said, no, I'm going to watch TV. (laughs) Then there was that awkward silence until I flipped the TV on. So we watched our show, Chicago Fire, and, I went to bed and then the next morning I'm back studying and I hit this verse. And the Spirit of God goes, boy, you were really sacrificial last night, weren't you? And the Holy Spirit applied these verses to my life saying, you know, just because you're tired and you've already served me, you served me all day and you served others all day, and you came home exhausted, and you did need to rest, but you needed to sacrifice yourself because your wife needed some time. That's how this works. Yeah, but I was tired. I'd been serving you all day. Yeah, and I died on a cross. Get your point. You see, I'm sure Jesus didn't feel like dying on a cross. In fact, I know he didn't. He prayed that the Father would remove this cup from him, and yet he went ahead and died on the cross. And I'm going to tell you, I mean, I'm no saint, but I didn't feel like playing every three minutes and changing something with my grandson. Like, it was tiring, but I did it because I couldn't just leave him laying on the ground without anybody looking after him, crying and saying, take care of it yourself. Because my needs were secondary to his needs. 
Now, they don't compare at all to what Jesus did, but they are in the same line of that give up your own wants, your own desires, your own needs, and meet somebody else's. And here's what happened. When God gives you joy when you give yourself. God gives us joy when we give ourselves. That's where joy, that's how we choose joy. When we choose, when we choose to obey and follow Christ's example, then God gives joy. Well, where do you get that from? Well, look at the next verses. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. He went to the lowest place and God put him in the highest place. There is, there is a lot, a lot in that. And I don't have time to talk about it today, but hope next week I get to show you what it means that Jesus has been exalted to the highest place. If you understand scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation, you will understand that Paul is making a massive statement to the world by saying he was exalted to the highest place. But he was at the lowest, and God exalted him and picked him up. And he gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. It's just the way it's going to unfold in heaven and on earth and under the earth. What does he mean by under the earth? Oh, there's more to that. I'm gonna talk about that hopefully next week. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When, when Jesus gave himself, God gave him joy and exalted him. And when we give ourselves, God will give us joy. God gives joy to us when we give ourselves. God gives joy when we give ourselves. It's just the way God works. Now, Paul wants to take this idea and um, is that 16 seconds? <laughs> Something's wrong, it's only 20 to 11. It can't be six seconds. <laughs> Give me a new time. <laughs> six, I got six seconds. I just wasted them. So therefore, now he's going, therefore, in light of what Paul has just told us, in light of Jesus and how he has modeled love, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, obeyed what? Loving others. Not only when I've been with you, but now much more my absence. Now here's this verse. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill, fulfill his good purpose. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about what he just talked about, that we are to love in a sacrificial way, giving ourselves for others, uh, giving up our needs, giving up our wants, giving up our priorities so that we can serve them. We are to do that, and guess what? You keep doing it, and God's conti you continue to work out your salvation. You continue to grow in this 
kind of love because it's the only command we have, love others as I have loved you. Now you keep working that out in your life because God is working in you to make that happen in you. If you want to know what God is doing in your life, this verse says God is working in your circumstances, in your family, in your concerns, in your fears, in your failures to teach you to become like Jesus who gave his life for others. He's teaching you how to sacrifice so you can love at the level that Jesus loved. That's what God is doing in you. Thank you, thank you. One guy, amen. The rest are, gee, I don't know if I want that. That sounds like a lot of sacrifice. And in fact, this is so important to Paul. He says, he, you, you work this out. You work in your life with the Spirit of God to become more loving toward the people in your life. And you work it out with fear and trembling. Where have you heard those words before? Now, if you're aware of the Old Testament, these are the words that are used to describe the attitude of the people when they, the Jews, were receiving God's command at Mount Sinai. And as God descended and spoke his commands to the people, they were filled with fear and trembling because of the gravity of the moment and because of the the, the unfathomable power and, and weight of the presence of God. They were filled with fear and trembling and they knew that they needed to obey what God was saying because of who he is. Well, that same theme is picked up in Hebrews. That same theme is fear and trembling that Paul uses and the, the story of Mount Sinai, God giving the law. And by the way, Paul is giving the law of Jesus to us. Love others as I have loved you. That's the law of God for us. So in chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says this, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Jesus Paul is speaking on behalf of God, saying to us, you need to learn to love like Jesus, giving yourself, being willing to sacrifice. If they, if they, meaning the Jewish people that were at the base of Mount Sinai, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, and there are stories in the Old Testament of people who said, now I'm going to do what God wants, and God used them as illustrations of destruction that happens when we ignore the will and the law of God. And if they didn't escape, he says, how much less will we? But, but aren't we in the period of grace? Didn't Jesus die for us? The grace of Jesus Christ delivered to us is even weightier than the presence of God delivering the commandments. God hasn't changed. The responsibility to pursue God and obey him hasn't changed. In fact, because we now have Jesus, we're even more accountable than those that were at Sinai. How much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven, feel the weight of judgment on us? At that time, his voice shook the earth. If you go back in the story, the whole mountain was trembling. People didn't, everything was coming undone, falling apart. 
because the weight and the glory and the, and the incredible nature of God was stronger and heavier and deeper and greater than any mountain, any rock. This rock mountain couldn't stand the, the, the glory of God. It's so weighty. And it was starting to fall apart. Can you imagine? Have you been out into BC? Out into BC? Starting to sound like a fisherman from out east. You've been out into BC by. Like I'm telling you, the, the, the mountains are massive. I can't imagine anything moving them. But when God's presence show up, they start to crumble. This is hidden from us. Because we live in a culture where God is loving. Because he is. And he's forgiving. And he's full of grace and mercy. And that's all we talk about. It's all we talk about. They are all true. Us being here, receiving from Jesus the forgiveness of sins is evidence of his grace and mercy. But what we never talk about, or very little, is the truth that we all will give account for what we do with what we hear. At that time, his voice shook everything. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And God, if you read the book of Revelation, I'm going through a study on it right now, everything is shaken. Every empire, every political group, every nation, even the rocks and the mountains and the stars, everything that is created is being shaken, meaning it's being reordered by the coming the presence of God. Everything is going to be changed to the way God intends. So where are you going to be in that shaking? If, if your life is built upon the unshakable word of God, you don't need to worry. But if your values and your life is built upon the values of the world in which we live today, it will crumble. Everything crumbles. This is our choice. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because you can't shake Jesus. There's nothing greater than him. There's nothing, no one, no being that can undo Jesus. Since we have the greatest of kingdoms that will remain, when all other things crumble, when all other political, educational, uh, economic institutions crumble and fall to the dust, and the kingdom of Jesus stands unshakable, that's our kingdom. Therefore, since we are receiving that kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And Paul is referring to this teaching when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Know that you will give account. This is the unshakable way of the kingdom of God. Now walk you in it. That's what he's saying to us. Now the difficulty is this, this is hard what I'm saying to you. And I think Paul knew that too. And he, I'm going to have to go quickly. He, um, he says, now I want to apply this to your life. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Now why would he bring that up here? 
After all this great talk about the love and learning how to sacrifice ourselves and God gives joy to those who are willing to sacrifice themselves, why does he bring up grumbling and arguing? Let me suggest that grumbling and arguing are like lights on the dashboard of our lives telling us we are being selfish. Because who grumbles and complains and argues? We do it, we do, (laughs) when we aren't getting what we want. When we are violating the love of Christ. When my needs, when I push my needs ahead of yours, when I turn the TV on ahead of my wife's needs, because I was tired and had a long day. When I complain about the money somebody else has that I didn't get in the will, or I'm not getting paid for, or I'm, I'm not receiving. When I, when I rail against God because he won't answer my prayer the way I want him to. As if my will is more important than his. The greatest, one of the biggest tests of faith that Crystal and I have gone through is learning to trust that when God doesn't give us what we want, his will is better and we'll submit to it joyfully. That was painful. But we complain about God and what he's not doing in our lives. When we complain about decisions that are made by government leaders or uh, work leaders or church leaders and we argue and complain as if we know what is better, having none of the facts. It's not that we don't disagree with stuff, but complaining and arguing is a different story. In fact, we learn from those who disagree with us when presented well, but complaining and arguing, that's the sign I want my way. In our marriages, when we fight with one another because we don't get the sex we want or the money we want or the support we want or the understanding we want, and so I'm going to push for it, I'm going to complain, I'm going to argue, I'm going to fight till I get what I want. That's why he mentions complaining and grumbling because they reveal a heart that is self-focused instead of love-focused. And so he says to them, hey, stop that so that you can become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Hear that? Warped and crooked. That's the way the world around you works. Don't be like the world around you. Instead, forsake those behaviors and instead put on love in your heart. Love others. Put them ahead of you and then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Crystal was said to me last night, you know, when you're in downtown Toronto, you look up at night, you can't see the stars. But out here in God's country, Stouffville area, you can look up at night and see the stars. And what do you notice? Do you notice the blackness or the stars? How many people look up and go, wow, look at that blackness. (laughs) I've never heard it. Everybody goes, wow, look at the stars. And Paul says, when you act out the love of Christ so that you're even sacrificing yourself for them, then you become, people go, wow, look at that. That's different. Now, just so I can get to the end, as I'm sure you want me to, three people Paul is going to use, himself, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. 
I know he, he, he I think he's thinking they're, they're going to struggle with this. So I'm going to show them that there are three people in their lives that are doing that. Paul said, I'm pouring out my life like a drink offering on your service. And drink offering was poured out on top of an offering. I, I told you this a couple weeks ago. And the point of a drink offering is only for God. And Paul goes, I'm pouring my entire life out on your service for God. And you benefit fully. And, I, and bear, by the way, where is he sitting? In prison, possibly going to die. And he goes, I'm doing it all for you. For God and for you. Oh, that's love. Then he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Everyone looks for their own interests. Why would he say that? Because that's what self-focused people do, but not Timothy. He serves the church, and you're one of them he serves. I'm sending you a guy that is serving you only, that's his only concern is you. Don't tell me nobody does. And then he says in verse 25, I think it necessary to send back Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And then he goes, he almost died for, for while he was doing it. He says, because at the very end, because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. He, you couldn't come, so he came in your place to serve you and to serve me, and he almost died for it. But he's Thank God he didn't, and he, I'm sending him back to you. So Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, all loved like Jesus loved. People in their own life. Now, th this is an abstract. I get it. We can sit here and talk about love. And I thought, well, when I end, it's easy to talk about, oh yeah, oh yeah, I need to love. I need to love like Jesus. Absolutely, agree with you. Okay. Here's six suggestions. Pick one, maybe even two, this week. Every morning this week. So you got to set an alarm, do whatever you got to do. Pray every morning this week. Jesus, today show me how to love someone like you love me. And then watch that day to see who he brings into your life and what you could do to serve them. Go ahead. Right, like... Write it, don't just look at me, write it in your phone if you're gonna do it, right? So just pray, God, show me somebody to love like you love me, and then each day watch and see what happens. Just this week. You don't have to be a Christian the rest after this week, but for this week, be a Christian. If there's a person you have not forgiven, forgiveness is an act of love. Because you're, when you forgive, you're releasing them from anything they owe you. And they owe you something, that's why you hurt. I would say get spiritual counsel or help. Have others pray for you. Clarify what needs to be forgiven, that's the key. What is it this person has done to hurt me? And then take that and lay it at the cross of Christ and say I'm giving it to you, Jesus, and I'm never gonna pick it up again. And when I do pick it up, remind me that I've already forgiven this and released it so I can give it back to you. And you may need to talk to them, you may not. I don't know, get spiritual counsel on that, whether you need to go to the person. But if you're carrying around unforgiveness, you need to deal with it with Jesus. For those of you that are married, choose right now one way that you can put your spouse's needs above your own. I, I, I'm, surely if you're married, you can think of one thing. <laughs> 
My list is getting a little too long. Those of you that are single, choose one person you can reach out to in order to help or care for them, even if you don't feel like doing it. That's four. Five, here's another idea. The next opportunity that comes up to volunteer, be at work, at church, at sports, when they say, hey, we need volunteers, ah, you know where I'm going with this, you go, me, as an act of love. And finally, I would say give. You know, a lot of us don't give our money to God. When we receive money, and most charitable organizations receive money, they do good for people that are in need. They, we run ministries, we plant churches, we care for the poor and the needy. That money is used to extend the kingdom of God. God gave you whatever he gave you. And the expectation is that you like him, give back. In fact, in the Old Testament, the expression was give a tithe, 10%. In the New Testament, Paul says, no, 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 forget the tithe, grace give. Now we interpret grace giving mean give what I feel like giving. No, 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 grace giving is as, as grace is greater than law, so grace giving is greater than tithing. Huh? A different, little bit of a different picture there, isn't it? As God prosper you, Give. It is an act of love. When you give what is, I'm going to say this, but it's not true. What is yours? Because Paul goes, when you die, it just all stays here. So it couldn't have been yours. It's what God's given you to steward, to manage while you're here. Give back to him. Father, I will admit that choosing to sacrifice myself for others is just foreign to the brokenness of my nature. My default setting, and I suspect for my brothers and sisters, our default setting is to choose to do what's best for us first, and then we'll, if we can, we'll worry about other people. But the love of Jesus and the love of Paul, and the love of Timothy, and the love of Epaphroditus was opposite of that. It was choose first what is best for others. God, I think that would radically change me, it would radically change us as a church if we were to apply and implement and take from us the grumbling and arguing and complaining that comes so easy and replace it with a humility in which we are willing to sacrifice ourselves. Help us to follow, mimic, and obey Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.